Beautiful. We are sitting at the gate. Beautiful. And it's always at the gate beautiful that the miraculous master passes by. He spoke of the gates. Lift up your heads. Respect the gates. And we're at the gate of a tremendous touch of God's blessings and God's help. This is not my text, but let me give you scriptural premise for what has just happened in Brother Hinkle's message. Second Corinthians 1 and 4, Who comforteth or encourageth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted. You see, your past may be somebody else's present. And God uses you to minister out of your past. And you comfort people with the comfort wherewith you were comforted. Now what Brother Hinkle is saying is, some of you are going down a road today and let me comfort you. I just came down that road. My wife just came down that road. The only valid reason I can find for Job's tribulation is that he might minister to us and comfort us. Job was never told why all of that happened to him. Never. The only thing God ever told him when he got to asking questions was virtually shut up. Where were you? When I hung the stars, when the sons of God shouted for joy. Shut up. And the bottom line of the book of Job is faith in God is better than an answer. That's all. Thank you, Brother Hinkle. Oh, that beautiful ministry. Beautiful ministry. Thank you, dear, wonderful people. I love you so much. And I've just been blessed and blessed and blessed. And I feel my inadequacy. I really do. I have a little adage in my Bible that I refer to often. I said, I can't. He said, you never could. I said, you will. He said, I always would. Bless his name. So happy to see you. Appreciate you so much. And I trust that God will speak to us here today. If you have your Bibles, turn to the third chapter of Hebrews. Wasn't that a great message last night? Great, great. Oh, this wonderful church at Bogalusa that just uh, so graciously helps us. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. Hebrews 3 and 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers 
tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The Holy Ghost said, Today, hear his voice. Exhort one another daily while it's called today. My subject this morning, the now, N-O-W, now, word of the Lord. What is God saying to the body of Christ now? All the word is true. We know that. But as I've often said, you can't accent every syllable of a truth at the same time. And the Holy Spirit has always, in particular eras and times for the body of Christ, accented a truth, illuminated it, lifted it, and declared, this is what I'm saying today. This is the now word of the Lord. And I want to introduce that to you. The now word of the Lord. What is the Spirit saying to the church today? Every generation has to get its bearings. Every generation has to know what the Spirit is saying to them through the word now. Currently. What is God saying? Not only to me individually, but to the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit has, has woven a beautiful fabric, as you're going to see as I preach to speak to this conference through the men of God who have spoken here. There is a central theme that is going through this gathering. Now Paul said, lift up holy hands without what? Wrath and without what? You know what that means? Lift one hand because you don't have any wrath toward any man. And the other hand because you don't have any doubt toward God. Now some people have to pray one-handed prayers. <laughs> But if you want to be effective, you've got to say, God, here's my right hand. I don't have any wrath toward any man living. Love everybody. Here's my other hand. I don't doubt you, Lord. Don't say I always understand you, but I don't doubt you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Here it is. Let's pray a two-handed prayer. Father, in the name of the Lord, we lift up our hands without wrath and without doubt. In the name of Jesus, we love you and we need you and we want you. In Jesus' name, I plead the blood and take dominion. Praise God. You may be seated. God bless you. This is a beautiful passage of God's book. It illuminates the factual truth to us that God does speak in current terms. The men of Issachar had understanding 
and knew what Israel ought to do. They had understanding of their times. Not just understanding, but understanding of their times. And knew in that particular time, Moses said, what Israel ought to do. And that reiterates and underscores what I lift for your attention this morning. In our time, in our day, what is Israel supposed to do? What truth is God accentuating to the church? In what area is he trying to get our attention? One reason that God had Israel go every day for manna is he never wanted them to be any more than 24 hours from proving the promises of God. He wanted them to stay fresh. He did not want them to get stale. They had to have fresh bread. And they could not store up that manna from day to day. The Bible doesn't, does not say that it stinks or it stunk. The Bible said it stank. S-T-A-N-K. And if there's anything worse than stinking and stunking, it's stinking. <laughs> that tells us you've got to have fresh bread. I mean, it was the same bread, but it's got to be fresh. You have got to stay current. Israel was deceived one time by some old moldy bread. And the whole nation, all of God's people collectively made a covenant with the Gibeonites that they weren't supposed to make because of old bread. Israel, Hebrews 3 tells us, missed the now word of God. For he said today, if you will hear his voice. Don't make the same mistake that Israel made. They got bogged down in their sacerdotal drudgery. Their ears got dull. They ebbed into legalism and Phariseeism because they could not hear the current word of God. They wouldn't hear what he was saying today. And the Bible said, and I read it, their heart became hard. They provoked God. They wandered for 40 years. They were directionless. For 40 years, they had no direction. And how many of us in this conference are praying for direction? Oh, God, give me direction. There is a wandering spirit and, and sometimes a spirit of confusion. And because they didn't plug into what was current, he went on to say they grieved the Holy Ghost. Now they were still known as Israel. They were still known as God's people. But they were not hearing what God was saying today. Verse 12, he said, Beware lest there be in any of you you know, just like Israel, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. There's a difference in unbelief and doubt. You know, you can just veer up your head and something can be so obvious and you'll say, I don't believe it. That's dangerous. Very dangerous. To say, that's not God. Better know what you're talking about. I could go back to the words of Jesus and prove it. 
You know, some people think if it doesn't come out of my stack, it's not smoke. There's a difference in unbelief and doubt. Doubt is sick faith. That's what doubt is. It's just sick faith. And God's people today, I can understand being plagued by doubt. I've had sick faith that needed healing. In fact, some of us got healed just a few minutes ago when our brother preached so beautifully to us. And he went on down to say, we need to exhort one another while it is called today. If you don't want what happened to Israel to be repeated, Paul said, whenever something becomes current in the spirit and somebody recognizes a today word, and don't misunderstand me, I'm not super spiritual, not super holy. You're going to find out that Brother McFarland has heard what the Spirit's saying today. Brother Hinkle has heard what the Spirit's saying today. Brother Johnson has heard what the Spirit's saying today. Many men that have ministered here are plugged into what the Spirit is saying today. And he said, we need to exhort one another, to call attention to one another. There, there's a difference between fact and truth. I know facts, but you feel truth. I felt what this man preached. He didn't just lay out some facts, but he imparted to us truth. There's nothing like an obedient today to ensure a revelation of God's will tomorrow. We need to know what the Spirit is saying to the church today. Now, ordinarily, when I preach, you know, I run, jump. I may do that, but I doubt it. I'd rather you just soak. We're a church in transition. Now listen to me. And are we sensitive to what God is doing? I'm not talking about doctrinal differences. I'm not talking about wildcatting for new doctrinal wells. I'm not talking about changing our Articles of faith. I'm not talking about our standards, things that we love and are precious and that we'll never lay down. But in our spirit, the Holy Ghost is trying to move us into a new dimension. The scripture said, build yourself up on your most holy faith. You know why you got to get up? You've got to get above the conflict so you can see above the pollution and get guidance. It's hard to get guidance while you're in the conflict. So you've got to build yourself up on your most holy faith. You always build on the most holy faith. But you've got to build up to a new dimension in the spirit to see what is current. What is God saying today? What is the Holy Spirit saying? I'm not talking about the Holy Ghost just imparting faith to us, but the Holy Spirit wants to develop faith, and he knows that faith develops best under pressure you learn faith better in the laboratory of life not from lecture see I brother uh, Hinkle could have heard 50 lectures on faith but the one he learned in the laboratory of depression where all of us have been yay and moreover the dogs licked his sores No, we, we, we've all been there. It's not just that God's going to impart faith in us. He's going to develop faith. He's going to let things come in our lives. And, and we're going to have to stay current to know or we'll get confused. We'll be like Israel. We'll go to wandering and dear God. I heard something the other day. 
Uh, someone sent me a tape by a charismatic preacher. Uh, yeah, I listen to tapes. Uh, and this charismatic preacher said this. And he was talking to the charismatics. And here's what he said. He said, the days of the charismatics are over. You're through. I perked up my ears because he pastors one of the largest charismatic churches in the world. He said, we'll never make it unless we get back to strong local churches with strong local pastors. I said, we could have told you that a hundred miles down the road. That these little charismatic bless me clubs were not the answer. You know, just moving here and there wherever the fire's falling and wherever the spirit leads. And... Uh, even they are awakening to the fact that God's sovereign move comes through a local body, a local church with a strong local pastor. No, we must never abandon our doctrines and our standards and our tenets of faith. Compromise is when you change your principles. Wisdom is when you change your method. And God, in an unprecedented way, you heard preachers preach here today about being in the crucible, and you've heard Brother uh, Johnson mention it, and you heard the great strait that Brother McFarland came to when he uh, was thinking of giving up his church. God, in an unprecedented way, is bringing fire on his people. He's trying to awaken us. Alarm us, purge us, cleanse us, get our attention so he can set us in order for what he's about to do. We are not in the harvest yet. What you are seeing coming in today are the harvesters. God is preparing the harvesters and he is sharpening us for the harvest. He is getting us ready for a great harvest. We are in the crucible. We are being prepared. We are being put through the fire. Because God has designed that you're going to be out there on the cutting edge. And everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. And if there's any untimely figs hanging on the tree, He's going to give the tree a good shaking. And you're going to end up on the ground rotting. What is the Spirit saying today? He is bringing us into an attitude of total mobilization for last day assault. And every child of God must decide whether he's going to move on to the new or camp out on yesterday's blessings. Not new doctrines, but a new dimension. A fresh fervor. A fresh fire. A fresh desire. A fresh fervency. A fresh determination. A coming out of myself. Laying aside of self-imposed limitations. See, you, you, you can get hung up on something. You can't camp out on yesterday's blessing. I don't know if you've ever heard of John Lake. He was an old Pentecostal preacher back at the, after the turn of the century and up into the 20s. He, he was from Africa. And he was greatly used of the Lord. Well, I think originally he was from Canada, but... Spent a lot of time in Africa, and uh, he, was, he had a miraculous ministry. He had a young man with him one time that he was training, discipling. And 
the young man was praying for the sick in South Africa. And he laid hands on people and 30 people by count were slain in the spirit and healed. They continued on in the ministry uh, for several days. And he was praying for people every night and, and they were being slain in the spirit. Finally, Brother Lake asked the young minister. He said, something's happening here. He said, the first group that you prayed for two or three days ago were healed. But these others that you're praying for, even though they're being slain in the spirit, they are not being healed. Do you know why? The young man said, oh, Brother Lake, it was powerful. It was great. Don't you see how many people were slain under the presence? He said, well, there's nothing wrong. And finally, Dr. Lake said, yeah, they're being slain, but they're not being healed. And he said, I'm going to tell you why. And you listen to me. I want to teach you something. He said, young man, you and this congregation have become so preoccupied with the outward demonstration of the Spirit. What you could see with your eyes and the supernatural power that God brought with a tingle in your flesh. And this physical exhilaration has become the main emphasis. And you got what you wanted, but you've missed the healing. People begin to get their eyes on the manifestation more than on the deeper work of the Spirit that is supposed to accompany it. And God was saying, if a tingle is all you want, if that satisfies you, I'll tingle you. If you've only got faith for a tingle, well, here's your tingle. And I believe what the Lord is saying is that we must move away from seeking just an emotional experience and get something in our lives that will change us. I don't want to just be temporarily touched. I want to be permanently changed. I want to be a harvester. I want to be a part of what God is doing. I, I love the emotional manifestation. You folks know that. But I wanted to deposit something in me that will change me. You see, Paul taught us that it's possible to talk with the tongues of angels one minute and with the tongues of men. There's a deeper meaning in that. I, I, you know, I fear for the complacency that I see in the church today. Apathy. You know, I, someone told me about a man and his wife sitting in church one Sunday, and the preacher was just preaching away, and finally he stopped, and, and, and the man was just ho-hum, you know, and the preacher said, what's wrong with this church is ignorance and apathy. His wife punched her husband and said, what do you think about that? He said, I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> I told our brethren in our banquets, I, I've been, uh, the first chapter of Mark, book, Gospel of Mark's really been illuminated to me lately. Jesus preached his first sermon in Mark chapter 1, first sermon, he went into a synagogue and stood up to preach. And there was a high deacon in that synagogue, studied the context, and he was 
in all probability a member and could have been there for many years. And when Jesus, the light of the world, came and opened the book and the bread and began to give them fresh bread, that man stood up and screamed, Let us alone! Right in the congregation. And Jesus said, you got an unclean spirit. Now, he didn't say you smoked, dipped, chewed, or chased women. But the spirit of let us alone is unclean. And we've got too many saints today that have that let us alone. We like our little church just like it is. We like our little cliques just like we got them. We got about four families and we've had control here for 50 years. And as one good man told me in a little church meeting one time, Brother Tenney, we had a wonderful little church here till this new pastor came along and got all these new people in. And he really messed things up. Mm, let us alone. I'm telling you, it's unclean. Brother Tenney, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't cuss. If you've got a spirit of apathy, of let us alone, don't disturb me. I'm not going to move. You are unclean. Any preacher that's got that spirit is unclean. I don't want to stop growing in God. I don't want to stop moving in God. I want to know what the Spirit is saying to the church today. <laughs> Complacency. While we're asking for more of God, God's waiting for more of us. There's just not enough seeking. God, uh, as we wrestle for the today word from the Lord, I'm alarmed about compromise. The moral standards of this world are being accepted in many, many places. God's talking to us about it. Someone said here yesterday, would you have ever seen a time when divorce would have been so acceptable? Just the little, I'm not talking about Bible grounds. I don't love her. Doesn't love me. So what? Recently, I wish I could tell you that this happened in Texas. Or Mississippi. Or Florida. But just within the last few weeks, a very irate layman from one of our churches on Sunday night walked into the pastor's office and closed the door. Any of you pastors ever have that happen? And said, brother, I want to talk to you. Pastor said, what is it? He said, I believe one of the girls in the choir has trimmed her hair. And I don't like her up on the platform. And the pastor said it hit him. He just rose up. He said, brother, what's worrying me is what some of our young people did last Sunday night two couples in a car on this parking lot with their long hair. Oh, he said, well, excuse me, preacher, I'm sorry I said anything. Now, people ought not to trim their hair. But... Standards are more. 
What goes on in the parking lot? How is it that this climate of consent You're talking about compromise. You're talking about compromise. You're talking about taking people out of the choir because they trimmed two inches off their hair, which they shouldn't have done. That's about to go off and say, Brother Tim said, sorry to trim your hair. You're a liar, and God's going to strike you. Because <laughs> you're breaking the unity. <laughs> but what I am telling you is this. That very subtly we can begin to accept some standards that are evil. And the Spirit is telling us today that we better look on the inside. The preacher yesterday talked to us about attitudes. How many preachers here have talked about people that want to pick sermons apart and pick one another apart? The Spirit is saying something to us today about our attitudes and our spirit. It's saying something. No, I'm not interested. And I'm alarmed. I'm alarmed by a lack of commitment. Now, there's a difference in involvement and commitment. Let me say that again. There is a difference in involvement and commitment. You will see on a plate for breakfast... Ham and eggs. Well, the chicken is involved, but to the pig, it's a commitment. And we got too many chickens that just want to be involved. But they don't want to be committed committed I don't always agree with my wife but I'm committed to her you may not always agree agree with your pastor or your church but are you committed has the church turned inward we must not turn inward Jesus always told us look out on the harvest field Now that doesn't mean we don't examine ourselves but but there's a plague of materialism. Have you heard anybody talk about materialism? This conference? That's what the Spirit is saying to the church. Morals. Materialism. Attitudes. Lay up, laying up for themselves treasures on earth. And there's many people that are floundering and looking for direction. And spending enormous amounts of time and energy trying to keep something alive. <laughs> And they don't even know what that something is. They're just crushed by the preponderance of plenty. He wants us to turn our energies outward to our world. And when that happens, an absolute flood of the Spirit is going to sweep out from us. As long as he, he'll keep little internal things going in a church that don't amount to a hill a frostbitten Kentucky Wonder Beans to keep you constantly turning inward. See, the devil's got a second best. If he can't cause you to backslide, he'll domesticate you, tame you down, and turn you inward so you won't turn outward. 
I've seen churches that constantly turned in on themselves. 90% of their energies were used trying to keep little inward things settled. 90% of the pastor's energies used trying to keep little things constantly settled. That is a trick of the devil. And the spirit is saying to the church, grow up. Grow up. Turn your pastors loose so they can do what they're supposed to do. How much have you been thinking inwardly of yourself and your own problems instead of thinking outwardly? And that's a trick of the enemy to get us hung up. Now, I, I just laid a little foundation here and I, I won't be here forever. But God is call, has called us to two anointings. Have you heard anything about anointings in this meeting? Did you not just a while ago hear about an anointing? Did not Brother Hudspeth just, or rather Brother uh, Braswell just say something about an anointing? The Spirit is talking to us about anointings today. In my opinion, in the church, there are two anointings. First of all, in, in 1 Peter 2 and 9, he said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Did you hear anything last night about coming together in unity? When counties become states and states become nations. God cannot bring us together in unity as a holy nation until first we are chosen and we understand our royal priesthood. Chosen generation, that's salvation. He said, I chose you, you didn't choose me. All right, the royal priesthood are the two anointings that I want to talk to you about. There was an anointing for a king, and there was an anointing for a priest. And unless we have both of these anointings, there's not going to be the holy nation. The coming together. We're going to be torn apart by a misunderstanding of what God means for us to do. And this is what the Spirit is saying to the church. Two anointings. Yes, we're anointed to be kings. He called it a royal priesthood. A kingly priesthood. Romans 5.17 tells us that we reign in life as kings. Revelation 1 and 6 said he has made us kings and priests unto our God. Revelation 5 and 10, he has made us kings and priests unto our God and we'll rule on the earth. Israel, according to Exodus 19, was to have been a kingdom of priests. God wants us to be kings first. And secondly, he wants the anointing of the priesthood to come upon us. Now, the power of God that came upon us when we were brought into the royal family caused us to receive our kingly anointing. And it equipped us with understanding to rule and to reign with him. Hallelujah. I understand my rights. I understand my privileges in Jesus Christ. 
It's a good message and it's necessary. But the kingly anointing is only half of the anointing. The priestly anointing was an anointing to serve. An anointing to minister. An anointing to get involved. And we Pentecostals have worn our crown and talked about our royal lineage. But the today word of God is you've got to have the priestly anointing. You've got to get into service. You've got to turn outward. You've got to get out there. Too long have you strutted with your crown. You see, there was a release and a power that came to Philip and Stephen because they served. They got their crown in the second chapter of the book of Acts. But they were serving tables, getting involved. And the priestly anointing came on them. And Philip became one of the greatest evangelists of the New Testament. And Stephen, the first martyr, and preached the longest recorded sermon in the New Testament. There was a release of power that came to these two men when they got their priestly anointing to serve. We want the kingly anointing. We'll line up for it. But who wants the priestly anointing? Because the priest had to serve in the tabernacle. Think. Brother Tenney, we'd rather shout. I'm not going to let you shout. You're going to soak. I want you to see that too long we've only been wearing one crown, and that's the crown of the kingship. You see, it, it takes a kingly anointing to rule. But instead of turning it inward and using it for self, the man of God wants to couple the ruling, powerful, kingly anointing with a priestly anointing to serve. Lord, where do you want me to take your kingdom? My needs are now met. I'm now walking in victory. I have my rights. I have the truth. But Lord, where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to set free? Because the the priestly anointing is to serve. Saul was anointed king. But he never got his priestly anointed. And he intruded into the priest's office without the anointing. And from that time forward, he went down. But he rose to a pinnacle. But he never went on to get this priestly anointing. Isaiah 61. Brother Mike quoted it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He hath anointed me. Ooh, heal the sick. Open blinded eyes. But then it ended with preaching the gospel to the poor. Ministering. Jesus was a king and he was a priest. Two anointings. Hear me. The second chapter of the book of Acts is our kingly anointing. And too many people have never got off the throne. And all they ever do is talk about, I've got the truth. And thank God for it. But the truth will set you free to serve. 
The truth will lead you to a priestly anointing. That's what the Spirit is saying today. He's trying to make us a kingdom of priests. Israel could have evangelized the world if they'd have gone on and followed the Lord. But they didn't and they wandered 40 years. United Pentecostal Church. Are we going to accept the second anointing and get involved and get to work? What are we going to do? Jesus was a king and a servant. Look at the life of Jacob. Now just listen to me. Jacob had two major life-changing confrontations with God. Two. One was at Bethel and one was at a place called Peniel or Penuel. One typifies where we are and the other typifies where God wants to take us. The Bethel experience is where he got his kingly anointing. But the Penuel or the Peniel experience is where he got his priestly anointing and wrestled with God until he was changed. Oh, so beautiful, Brother Hinkle. You know where we're living today? We're living between Martha's kitchen and Mary's altar. That's, that's where God wants us to live. You know, Martha's kitchen was the priest. Mary's altar was the king. And God wants us to strike a balance and live between the two. Not always in the kitchen. And not always so heavenly minded till you're no earthly good. There's a balance of anointings here. And that's what the scripture teaches. Okay, look at the Bethel experience. Genesis 28. Jacob was fleeing from Esau. He had deceived his brother. And he was running. And his name, Jacob, meant surplanter or cheater. And the sun was going down. And he needed a place to sleep. And he found an old rock. And he laid out on it. And the canopy of the sky is over his head. He went to sleep. And suddenly a ladder was let down from heaven. And the Lord spoke to him and said, I'm going to be your God. And I'm going to give you this land. And your descendants are going to be blessed. And I'm going to keep you. And I'm going to bring you back to this place. And when he was awakened, he called the name of the place Bethel, which meant the house of God. And, and he received a blessing, and he received the promise, and he received the covenant. But nothing was required or demanded of Jacob at Bethel. Nothing. All he got was anointings. King, king. God said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You're going to be blessed. Angels started coming up and down. Now hear me. The only other place in the scripture that angels are mentioned as ascending and descending is John 1, 51. And the heavens open and the Bible said the angels ascended and descended on Jesus, which tells us that Jesus is Jacob's ladder. But here's what he's calling 151. You'll see the angels ascending and descending on the son of man. The son of God is his kingly anointing. The son of man was Jesus priestly anointing. And we need the angelic ministry 
on our priestly anointing and what brings the angelic ministry and activates it is the priestly anointing. When we really get to serving and get to finding our place and get to fasting and praying and become committed, not just involved, we're going to activate angels and like the angels came on the Son of Man spirit, now, I could go into this further. The angels are not activated by the Son of God spirit. They are activated by the Son of Man. When Jesus was in the garden, travailing, who came to him? Angels. Angels are ministers. They come to help you minister. Ministering spirits. And the priestly anointing is for ministry. The reason we have not activated any more angels is we are missing the second anointing. The crying sin of the United Pentecostal Church is laziness. We like to come to church on Sunday night and get our tingle. Whether anybody is healed or filled or not, get me my tingle. Preacher, give me my fix. And if I can get that fix... I mean, you get that service in high Z, preacher. And if you don't, we'll vote you out and get somebody here that can jump a little higher than you can and throw the guitar a little further. And I'm telling you what the Spirit's doing today. The Spirit's got the incisive sword of the Spirit out. And He's preparing the harvesters and He's whittling. And he's working and he's telling us, you've worn the crown so long till you got egot egotistical. And your ego can write a check your consecration can't cash. And I am hungry for a return to an apostolic ministry. And what activates angels? You know what? Let me, let, me, let me just throw this in. Angels don't die. No, they don't die. Every angel that ever lived is alive today. The angels that rescued Lot out of Sodom is alive. The angel that went to the den of lions with Daniel is alive. The angel that went in the fire furnace is alive. The angel that found Paul in the worst storm of his life, in the middle of a sea, when there wasn't any sun, moon, or stars are shining, but that angel found him. That angel is alive. The angel that went into the prison and found Peter and got him out is alive. And we need those angels today. Some of you have loved ones in far distant cities that are lost. You need for the angel that visited Sodom and Gomorrah to go into those cities and visit those lost ones and bring conviction that angel is alive. Some of you are in a storm right now and you can't see the sun and the moon and you don't know where you are and you've lost your compass. Uh, hallelujah, Paul said, there stood by me this night an angel of God whom I am and whom I serve. I want that angel. I want that angel. I want to activate that angel. I need that angel. I I've been in a den of lions. I need that angel. And he's alive. I want the very angel that came to Daniel and the three Hebrew children. I want him in my life. And I can have him. Our kingly anointed came. Only one problem. When Jacob left Bethel, he was still Jacob. You'd be surprised how much human nature the Holy Ghost doesn't take care of. 
fit your doctrine, but it'll fit your experience. Mm. The only God Jacob knew was the God of give me, Lord, bless me, Lord, help me, Lord. Everything was inward. Me. Me. God had something more. Genesis 32, and I hasten. He found himself at a place he later named Peniel or Penuel. God told him to go back, and he was going back to face the music with Esau. Oh, he was rich. He had grown. The crowd had expanded. There was more of him than they'd ever been. Look what the kingly anointing has done for me. Look what I've got. But he came to a crisis. There will always be an Esau in your life. Remember this. If you pray, Lord, I want to be crucified, you can't crucify yourself. No way. No, how are you going to do it? Lay both hands out on a cross. Get you a nail and a hammer and you hold a nail with one hand hammer with the other. How are you going to do it? God will send your best friend along to do it for you. So he was coming back strong. Let me, let, me, let, me show you, let me show you what strength did for him. Let me show you what the kingly anointing did for him. Let me show you the ego trip he was on now. He'd already been to hell and back. But here he was, this carnal, rambling, conniving, swindling spirit. And they, his man ran back and said, Esau's coming. He got 400 men. He said, look, take this crowd and go before you. And when he said, whose are these? He said, you tell them that this is your brother Jacob's. I'll impress him with my numbers and wealth. And they went trotting out there. Directly they came trotting back said, he's still a-coming. That didn't stop him? Uh-uh. He said, okay, I got another plan. He said, break up into three companies. I'll show him how well I'm organized and my organizational ability will impress him. So they went. Number one, Esau said, who's that? That's your brother. Hmm, well organized. Who's that? That's your brother. Well, all right. And they came running back and said, he's still coming. Your wealth didn't impress him. Your numbers didn't impress him. And your organization didn't impress him. He's still coming. You need something, Jacob, you ain't got. United Pentecostal Church, this is on tape. You need something you ain't got. And that's a spirit not of just involvement on Sunday night and Sunday morning, but of commitment to your church. I know when we passed this way before, 47 years ago, there was just a handful. And we've come back like Jacob, with three bands, money. I hope you build a million-dollar church here. You need it. Praying that God will sell this one. But friend, there's yet an anointing. And that's what the Spirit is telling us today, that we've had the King's anointing a long time. We've been turned inward. Finally, in desperation, he sent over everything across the brook, took his crown off, and he wrestled alone with God at Peniel. And at this point, there was Jacob. I want you to listen to him scream like a pig caught under the gate. Bless me! Help me! And with a 
world out there coming toward us at a breakneck speed without any answers and with hatred in their heart and fire in their eyes and addiction in their soul. Here is Jacob crying, bless me, you solved my little problem. Get me out of this mess. We're wrestling with God to bless me more, but the church is not a bless me club. God wants us to take the priestly anointing and bless the world. And minister to the world. You see God was leading Jacob in a new relationship. This is more than just prevailing prayer. He said God I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And God just said why didn't God said hey you've missed it. You know why he wrestled all night? Because he had the bless me mentality. Bless me. Bless me. God said I don't want to bless you. I want to change you. When I get through with you, you're not ever going to walk the same again. You know what? We think we wrestle with God so God will bless us. But God wants to change us. Jacob, you've got the Bethel anointing. But you need the Peniel anointing. And God was leading Jacob into a new relationship. What was God's response? Finally, just as the day was about to break, God said, What's your name? Oh, I was afraid you were going to ask that. And I can hear him whisper it. Jacob. Crisis point. For the first time in his life he saw and understood what his nature really was. And his nature needed changing. Not his doctrine. I'm a swindler. I'm a cheater. And he had 20 years at Laban. And you look at how he and Laban tried to outswindle one another. With the kingly anointing you can pick up the spirit of the world. We can pick up the conniving spirit of the Philistines with their new cart methods because we've lived among them so long until we know how to increase our numbers with tricks. Oh, yeah, we, we, can, we can get some spotted cows, tell you how to get them. You know, we, we, we can pick up a few tricks out there fooling around with Laban. It's not what God's talking about today. God's talking about the priestly anointing because he's preparing harvesters. And God had something more noble than Bethel. And when God saw that Jacob repented, he said, that's what I wanted, Jacob. I wanted you to see where you are. And the yoke was broken. And the situation with Esau was solved because another anointing, a priestly anointing, and Jacob was changed from that day forward. He became a servant. Go through the book of Genesis. See how, see how he died instead of saying, bless me, he died blessing his boys, giving out. He died giving out. Give it out, give it out, and it's been Bethel, it's been, bless me, it's been, help me, God, take us to Peniel. The name Peniel was given it by Jacob, and it means the face of God. He used to know God at Bethel, but now he's come face to face with God. And it changed him. We, we seek God's hand, but we won't seek God's face. The hand, 
Give me, God, give me. Bethel me, Bethel me, Bethel me. But Peniel, 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 the face of God. That's what it means where his eyes pierce and where his two-edged sword, his tongue comes out, his word, and where his ears could hear our lamentations and our cries. Saints of God, we need not a Bethel experience, but Peniel is where he wrestled. And hear me! Jacob was an epitome, a type of the church, and the church of God today and what we're feeling and what I've been feeling and these other preachers have been feeling. And Brother Rex has said, God, I want to be different. And Brother Hinkle said it this morning. The church is wrestling with the angel of the Lord. You know, sometimes we call things the devil. That could be the angel trying to change us. Turn to Isaiah 10 to change us. God, oh, you know, I've watched God lift his anointing. Hear me. I've seen God lift his anointing and blessings away from individuals, away from works, and away from churches because he was trying to get their attention. You'll come to a penile experience, he said, or you'll walk without my anointing and my favor anymore. Have you ever seen a church dry up? that still preach the truth? I'm going to tell you something. There is nothing any deader than dead Pentecost. I, you give me a red-hot Baptist revival any day than a dead Pentecostal church. And some of our churches have worn the crown and talked about the king's privileges so long and, and God's tried to move them into this dimension of getting involved. And reaching out and the second anointing. And they won't go on to meet God face to face at Peniel and be changed. And God said, okay, I'm just going to lift my hand. Until you wake up. Isaiah 10, 16, brother Simpkins. Listen to this. Give me about five more minutes. Therefore shall the Lord. Therefore shall the Lord. The Lord of hosts. His fat ones, fat, fat ones, been gaining weight 47 years at Bogalusa Bible Conference, saved, sanctified, and petrified, loving my velvet ruts. He'll send them on his fat ones, what? Read it, Brother Simpkin. Under his a burning like the burning of a fire. Under the people that have the glory, God's going to build a fire under them and turn fatness to leanness. He's going to render the Lord out of them. Now, you had to have been raised on a farm to know what I'm talking about. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm going to put them out in the field and they're going to get lean. They're going to get to working. They're going to get out in the harvest field. Hallelujah. They're going to lift up their eyes. They're going to pray, Lord, send laborers into the field. I'm going to turn up the fire until the priestly anointing of service comes on my fat ones. Hallelujah. 
I'm telling you what the Spirit is saying to the church. It's total mobilization. It's time to get committed. It's time to fast and to pray and to turn outward and to forget our little petty differences. Talked to a preacher the other day that stayed up all night long over a pie. Somebody said they made him a pie and he threw it out the back door and tore the church up. <laughs> Who's going to play the piano? What difference does it make? If you have a job in a church and, 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 and God gives it to somebody else, and you get miffed, that proves that you're thinking of yourself first and the cause second. Now, we're facing decisions right now. We need to come face to face with God. God's saying, I'm, I'm, I, I, Lord, I'm just tired of seeking just blessings. I want to seek your face. I want to come to know you in a deeper way. Aaron was the priest. You know why he was a priest? You study the life of Aaron. I don't have time to go into this. Aaron was not easily offended. Study his life. God zapped two of his own young'uns one time and killed them. And the scripture said Aaron held his peace. Whew. I'm going to tell you something. You can tell how much of a ministry a person's got when somebody touches your youngins. Tell. Do you get offended if the preacher jerks your kids up short and says you better straighten up? And even if affliction or something else can, you know, one of the most difficult things in the world to handle is something wrong with your children. And if you're not careful, you can get offended at God. But Aaron had the priestly anointing. In fact, the Bible said the oil came all over him down to the skirts of his garment. And he had a non-offensive spirit. The priestly anointing will get us out of these little petty offenses. Always getting our feelings hurt. This business, as has been preached, of picking one another apart. Listening to a man preach and then saying after it's over, I wonder what he meant by that. At Benile, he was changed. He wrestled with God. And he wrestled. And the church is wrestling with the angels. And we're still saying, the reason we're not breaking through and the day hasn't come yet is we're still saying, bless me. And God is saying, when you repent and confess, he said, I'm going to change you and I'm going to give you a new anointing. At Bethel, we learn to receive. At Peniel, we learn to give. At Bethel, we learn God's work. 
but at Peniel we learn God's ways. At Bethel we learn the word of the Lord, but at Peniel we know the God of the word. At Bethel we use God, but at Peniel we say, God, use us. We need to be wrestling with God at Peniel until we're changed. Our attitudes are changed. Our vision is changed. Our outlook is changed. Our lives are changed. Our churches are revolutionized. I'm telling you, that's what the Spirit is saying to the church. Repent! Confess! And I'll give you the priestly anointing on top of your kingly anointing and you'll become a kingdom, a priest, and you'll expand the borders of my kingdom and the knowledge of the glory of God shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Brother Tenny, I'd rather shout and dance. Yeah. Those immediately behind David weren't dancing. Remember when David danced? Fellas the closest to him weren't dancing. And if they had a dance, there'd have been a catastrophe. Because they were the Levites, the ministers carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They were carrying a heavy load. And while you're jigging, there may be a man behind you carrying a heavy load. You're just now getting your first anointing, and he's getting his second. And you think you're being blessed, and he's not. Feeling the weight, carrying the ark. God, I'd rather be up there dancing with David, but I've been there before. And now I'm getting another anointing, the Levitical anointing, the priesthood anointing, because there's service. Hallelujah. This ark has got to go somewhere. It's been stagnant and stale. Hallelujah. Too long. It's been at Beth Shemesh. Now we got to get it back home. we got to get it back on location. I'm telling you, the ark has been 20 years. You know how long he was at Laban's house? He was there 20 years. And the ark was at Beth Shemesh 20 years. And God is calling to us that there's another anointing that the the Holy Spirit is wanting to lay on the church and it's the priestly anointing and it's the anointing to reach out and to serve and to get committed. When the king put on sackcloth in 2 Kings 7, the lepers rose up and said, we're going in to the camp of the Syrians. They decided to take a walk of faith when the king put on sackcloth. Four lepers took a walk of faith into the camp of the enemy. They said, we're moving out. The king's in sackcloth. He got out of that royal robe and got him some sackcloth on. He said, if we go back in that city, if we go back, we die. I'm telling you, God, somebody's going to hear what the Spirit's saying to the church about a new dimension. To go back? No. I want to go to Peniel. Because we're either changing backwards or forwards. Oh, but Brother Tenney, I, I, I just don't know. You're going to have to make a choice. Brother Tenney, I failed so many times. Hey, failure's only temporary. And in the midst of temporary failure, there's three things you better remember. Number one, failure is only a temporary inconvenience at the most. 
Number two, failure is a learning experience. And number three, failure makes good fertilizer for the next big harvest. Grind it up and make fertilizer out of it. I have made some of the stupidest mistakes that you ever heard in your life. And I could have parked on them forever. And grumbled and got in the valley and pitched a pity party. I close with this. Everything begins with a thought. One thought. Victory begins with a thought. And likewise defeat with a thought. One single thought in your mind can change your day and it can change your life. All change begins with one thought. Right here today, and I know I haven't preached my usual style. I, I, know, I know how to preach. I even know when to set off a firecracker in a sermon to get your response. But I hadn't been preaching under the kingly anointing today. I put on the sackcloth. I'm under the load of the staves. I'm trying to lift you, and it's always hard to lift. People would rather be fed where they are. They don't want to go out. They'd rather just put their feet under the table and get a little milk. And milk is something that's already passed through the digestive system of another. The cow's already done it. That's all some pablin Christians get is a little milk. Go to church and, and, and leave as, and all they've been served is cool whip. I'm telling you, saints, it's time to grow up. It's time to understand that God is calling today for the second anointing. And we got to rise up and go into the camp and you'll find a cafeteria there. When they got in the cafeteria, you know what those four lepers said? Oh, we do not well. They at first turned inward and they ate. Then they said, wait a minute, we got friends. Then the second anointing hit them and they got to thinking outward. And the whole city was saved because those four lepers got the second anointing. There are cities that can be saved if we'll get out of our spiritual cafeterias. I want to be apostolic, my God. I want to hear about whole cities turning to the Lord. I want to hear about all of Asia receive the word. And I don't want to just hear about it. I want it in my own ministry. I want to be changed. But the angel of the Lord is wrestling with the church. And he's trying to change Jacob and all of his bless me mentality at Peniel to a use me, Lord. Oh, God, I've got your kingdom. Put me on location, God. I don't want to just be involved. I want to be committed. The Holy Ghost is calling for the second anointing. And today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your heart or your wonder and your grief the Holy Ghost is there anybody in the fear of God that'll stand and say I want the second anointing and I'll wrestle till I get it I'll wrestle till I get it
Hallelujah. Oh, God. God of Peniel, we want to see your face. We want to see the face of God. Reach over and pray for your neighbor next to you and ask God to bring them face to face with reality. Change me, Lord. Change me. Change me. I really mean it, Jesus. I'm not just going through a ritual. I mean it, Lord. Touch me. Change me. I don't ever want to walk the same. I want to be a marked man. I want to be an Israel, a prince with God. I want a new name and a new reputation. From this day forward, I want a new reputation. I don't want to be known as a Jacob. I want to be known as an Israel, a prince with God, a prince with God. I want to think outward. Change me, change me, change me, change me, change me. I wrestle with you, Lord. Change me. I want to be different. I want a fresh dimension. Wrestling. The body of Christ is wrestling with the angel of the Lord. And we've got to confess.